You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Media Group podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. On today's episode, we're on location here in downtown Iowa City talking with Chip Reeves. Chip is the newly appointed CEO of Midwest One Bank, the largest headquartered bank in Iowa, and the official sponsor of this very podcast. Chip shares with me what it was like to pick up his life and move from Florida to Iowa in the middle of winter, how he sees the future of technology impacting the future of the banking industry, and how his athletic background has influenced his approach to teamwork and business. And Chip also explores why it's so important for banks to be supportive assets to their communities, how he believes a leader's success is measured by the success of others, and Chip pulls back the curtain on banking and shares some insight for the next generation of professionals. I know I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Chip, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time and you know a, b- a belated welcome to Iowa. You're uh, you know one of the newest minted CEOs here in the corridor. Of course, uh, here at Midwest One Bank, the largest headquartered bank uh, in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, it's obviously great to have you. You and I are colleagues. I'm on the board here at Midwest One Bank, but you know, I think this is a, a great opportunity for a lot of our listeners in the area to get to know you a little bit better, get to know you know your vision and where you see the opportunity not only for Midwest One Bank going forward, but also for, you know, with fresh eyes, how do you see the, the community in this region? Uh, where do you see the opportunity for growth? Um, but it's exciting to have you here. Maybe, maybe just start back to, um, you know, your chapter prior to this. You're down in Florida, obviously in the banking industry. What was the most exciting thing for you about this opportunity as CEO here at Midwest One? Oh, what you look at is a Charlie Funk who has, uh, you know, built Midwest One over the last 22 years. And Really took the organization from only about three or four hundred million in size, Nate, all the way to six and a half billion, and the, the largest uh, headquartered bank here in the state of Iowa. And I think there's more to go. Mm-hmm. And you look at it and say, "Wow, we have some great markets from the corridor here to over to Des Moines, and then Midwest One's also in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, and we have just outstanding people and a great culture." And you go, "I, I wanted to be a part of that." Um, and then I grew up in Cincinnati, and my wife is from Chicago. So this is a kind of return to Midwestern roots and values. And by the way, I'm a huge Hawkeye fan, so uh, this works pretty darn yeah, well. Yeah, you, you and I have been to a, been to a game, and you're, you fit well in that black and gold. And you timed your move from Florida here, maybe not the most perfect, right, in the fall and the, the winter with the weather changing. But um, it's, you got that Midwest blood, so you know, you know that cold weather. Well, you know, right before Christmas, I think it was, what, about minus 12 and wind chill <laughs> of minus 40. And so my wife is still in Tampa as our eighth grade son finishes a school year. So I sent her a little video of me saying, you know, it's minus 12 today. And she sent me back a picture of the, of the pool. Yeah. So it all worked out well, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I know how that is. So what was, you know, you got a son in eighth grade. What was, if you go back to yourself and your story, you know, Chip, when you were eight, in eighth grade, what was... What were your passions? What were your pursuits? Was you know we were always sort of 
entrepreneurially minded, business minded, you know, in, in junior high, high school, and then going up into college? Or was that something you just sort of fell into? Yeah, so Nate and I, we've spoken about this a little bit just as we've begun our, our personal relationship. And uh, I was passionate about both business, but also athletics at the time. Yeah. And I think it's an incredible mix in terms of what you learn on the athletic field and how it translates into entrepreneurialism and the business world. Uh, but back then, so I, I ended up playing basketball at a place called Miami of Ohio, just mm-hmm. outside of Cincinnati. But eighth grade, I will tell you what, I'm six 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 seven. In eighth grade, six six. Uh, well, today, yeah, yeah. I was almost full size or fully grown in eighth grade. So I was Ichabod Crane. You know, <laughs> you're, you're talking about six six and maybe 150 yeah, pounds. Like the baby uh, giraffe yeah, we, out there. It yeah. was a praying mantis type of thing going <laughs> on here, Nate. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. So you know, hoops right away. And what what if what is sports? taught you like what do you see as the biggest correlations as you've gone into you know a very successful professional career what have you taken from your time as a collegiate athlete of a Miami of Ohio and applied it throughout your career there's absolutely the teamwork perspective and yeah there I will tell you what let's go to Miami of Ohio the worst year that we had from a, a record standpoint is when we had the most talent mm-hmm. because from a teamwork perspective we weren't all on the same page right and almost vice versa you know our least talented squad probably had the the best record because we were all rowing in the same direction. So teamwork, number one. But then the other is competitiveness. You know, the, the ability to actually get hit in the head with a billy club right. and, and realize you get back up right. and you go after it all over again. Um, and so that resiliency that I think the athletics teaches is, is you know, powerful in, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and David Stern was probably the NBA commissioner at your time. You know, he didn't come calling right for you out of Miami of Ohio, I'm, I'm assuming. So that led into whatever your first professional pursuit was. Where, where did you land right out of, out of college? How did you get your start in the banking yeah, industry? Yeah, yeah, I almost obviously, this is a podcast, but if it was on TV, the audience would have seen me chuckle a little bit. because <laughs> Maybe he did they, call. I don't yeah, know. Is yeah, there, the only, not not David Stern. So not David Stern, <laughs> but the only offer that I had coming out of uh, college, I wasn't as fortunate to go to the, uh, the, the professionals like yourself for the decade. Uh, but for me, it was going to Luxembourg okay. in the lowest-rated European league, $1,000 a month, a studio apartment, and a Vespa. So think of 6667 <laughs> on the Vespa. Hey, that's going good around. living. I'd, I'd take a year doing I, you that know any, what? any day. Yeah. And for some unknown reason, I said no. Oh, because I, I had a job offer from Fifth Third Bank in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Fifth Third today is you know, a couple hundred billion dollars in size across the Midwest and Southeast. But I, I joined Fifth Third and spent 22, 23 years there during, you know, like kind of my growing up formative years in the industry. Man, that, that's that's tough to pass up that you go go back and get that year back in Luxembourg. That'd be that would have been a lot of fun. I bet. Yeah. If there's yeah. one thing I'd change yeah. over <laughs> these last 33 years of banking, it's I would be in banking for only about 31 years, mm-hmm. and I would have done that for a couple. <laughs> so anybody, I mean, obviously coming right out of college, you're pursuing a variety of different things. But I mean, you said you were at the your first company for 22 years, right? Right out right out of Miami of Ohio. What was it early on within within banking that gave it its, its, its stickiness for you. What did you like about it? Yeah, for, for me, Fifth Third was one of those, the first banking organizations that really began to, you know, I call it marry the two sides of, of banking, which was highly analytical and, you know, commercial banking presence, but that it wasn't just sit behind a bet desk. You better go out and you better become a, a salesperson and an advisor as, as well and mm-hmm. speak to the, the client base. So that, that matched my personality and profile. 
And then the other thing Fifth Third did just an outstanding job of was leadership development and almost entrepreneurialism within a pretty darn large company. So right. they moved you every couple of years to either a different department, a new city, and just the learnings that you had for that were, were high. So you kind of bounced around to various roles within the bank. Was there you know, a role in particular that stood out or was there a moment, sort of an inflection point early on in your career in banking where you said, hey, this is, this is my thing, this is my, my trajectory and kind of put all the other options off to the side? Or what, was there any sort of specific type of project maybe you took on that really stood out in those early days? Yeah, so I ended up being on the commercial banking side of the, of the house for the, the most part with Fifth Third. Um, and it was, I was all the way in Southwest Florida at the time with okay. Fifth Third. Uh, and had an opportunity to move to Chicago uh, and run some of the, the various departments there. And that, that decision to, to go ahead and move back to, to Chicago, my wife's hometown, uh, where Fifth Third had just made an acquisition, mm -hmm. was really the um, accelerator uh, to my career as well as um, the most learnings that I've had. Obviously, a gigantic city, uh, uh, incredibly competitive banking market. Sure. And you had to bring kind of the A game every day, internally and externally. Mm -hmm. What was your, was that your first exposure to kind of leadership within, within the bank? And, you know, what was that sort of first moment like when you had your own team underneath you? Of course, now you've ascended to, you know, the, the most desirable spot within banking or any, any company, obviously, which is, you know, the head as, as the CEO. What was that first kind of, position like for you as, as a leader within the bank? Yeah, so the first time I was um, leading groups was uh, actually down in Florida with the organization and you know, probably all of 27 or 28 years old. And you know, I was the youngest individual, but uh, the so-called leader of the, of the groups. And I think what you, at least I began to learn, takes a couple of years uh, for at least myself, is that leadership is far less about you as an individual and far more about the success of everybody else on your team right. and uh, uh, more of the servant leadership piece. There are plenty of times where you have to carry the flag and charge up the hill mm -hmm. and inspire followership and follow me. Yeah. But in essence, it's how do you help everyone else get to the promised land? Yeah, exactly. Was that, I always find it curious folks like yourself that, that become CEOs, was that and you know, something you had posted on your wall in the, in the room as, as the number one goal is to get to that point at some point in time, or is this just something that you continue to kind of climb the rungs and eventually you're there? Yeah, for, for myself, at least, it was a, a touch of a combination. Um, there is absolutely a, a goal. I'm a goal-oriented individual uh, to be able to, to lead an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, now, of what size, et cetera, or would it be even outside of banking, doing a little something more entrepreneurial, starting your own business? Um, but leading an organization had always been a goal. But I will tell you, especially from the Chicago time frame, you know, all of a sudden, you, you wake up and five years later, by the way, you've gone to now three different departments succeeding yeah. uh, each time. And next thing I, I knew, I was president of Chicago for Fifth Third Bank. And um, I can't say that one was absolutely planned. Right. Yeah. Just kind of serendipitous and happens a little bit along the way. Yeah. Talk a bit about, take us back to a year ago and, and how this, you know, or when you were first introduced to this opportunity here at Midwest One and where that found you in your kind of intersection of your career and your those choices and maybe talk a bit about how you guys weighed the decision or how you and your family weighed the decision um, about this opportunity and what ultimately you know appealed the most to you guys about 
coming back back to the Midwest, back here to Iowa to, to take on this job. Yeah, so we were in Florida at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and there I was uh, CEO of an institution that was uh, smaller than, than Midwest One, but highly entrepreneurial, focused on, on commercial banking primarily. Uh, that organization, uh, I had been there for four to five years. Uh, we were able to um, restructure the organization, turn it around, begin to, to do some growth, and then ultimately um, received that, that proverbial offer that was too good to refuse, and for our shareholders, it was the right decision to, uh, to sell the institution. And so at that point, um, I was working with the, the new organization. Uh, Charlie Funk and I had actually spent some time two or three years uh, ago just uh, in a little bit of a phone call. Um, we have some similarities in, yeah, in background. Height, yeah, yeah. We have some height. <laughs> Charlie played, obviously, basketball as well. We're yeah. both sports junkies. Uh, at, at the same time, you know, our legal name is Charles. Our middle initial is both N. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we hit it off. Yeah. It wasn't the right timing for, for either of us uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but he made a phone call back when he... Uh, announced his intention to retire in February or March of uh, 2022. Uh, and I was um, very intrigued at the time. Yep. And then what I'll tell you, Nate, is um, being able to spend some time with other uh, Midwest One board members, mm-hmm. getting to know the, the community a little bit, getting to understand the, the compelling markets that, that we're in. Um, and there is a family piece to it uh, absolutely as well, that return to the Midwest, and for my wife, uh, a return to all of her family is still in Chicago. Sure. And so a return closer to there, um, it just made a lot of sense for us. Yeah, that's great. And you're now just a few months into the job. I always think it's interesting. A lot of us that have been here in the, you know, the corridor, eastern Iowa market, sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. But, you know, folks like yourself that no industry, no business, you know, curious just to kind of hear from you sort of early impressions, you know, not just about Midwest One or the banking sector specifically, but just the, you know, this economy, this place, are there some things that really jump out to you just with fresh eyes uh, in a few months just into it about what what's happening here in the corridor? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at the corridor now and I don't think I appreciated even just as a, an observer or visiting, you know, three or four times during what I'll call the um, selection and recruiting process and decision-making process. Um, the vibrancy of, of this quarter. And frankly, I, I've not lived in Iowa before. Mm-hmm. And outsiders where you go, Iowa, you don't tend to think of high growth entrepreneurialism. Yeah. And this corridor has it. Um, and it has it in spades. You know, it's driven obviously by the university and the healthcare systems. And then that then brings, you know, some spin-offs and, and then you have the entrepreneurs yep. and we're starting to get the ecosystem of entrepreneurialism. Yep. There's more to be done, but it, it's actually happening and starting. And then we're uh, just announced, actually, Nate, that uh, we're opening up a Cedar Rapids office. Midwest One had not been in Cedar Rapids previously, and we have a great uh, group of individuals that'll be there too. And I'm excited about that marketplace as well, because it brings a heck of a lot um, more than Iowa City, what I'll call the industrial side. Sure. Uh, of the corridor that is doing very nicely as well. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, the corridor has got a lot of, you know, long, great history of, uh, you know, the banking sector being very supportive of the community and all the entrepreneurs and businesses that are here. I've always been curious, you know, I joined the board here and I've learned a lot in the last five years about banking specifically, but, you know, banks are always around the sort of omnipresent everywhere. What do you think, you know, having been your entire professional career in banking, the the common person that's out there that, you know, they bank, they do those sort of things. What do you think is the most... Um, 
not necessarily least understood, but like what is something that, you know, if you were to pull the veil back a little bit on banking that most people should know about banking, what would that be? If you were to just kind of get that out there to the lay person that's that always kind of interacts with it, but has never really thought about banking and what all happens behind the curtain. Yeah, because what I call it is that banking is such a noble profession. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know if everyone, anyone grows up and says, oh my gosh, I, I want to be a banker. <laughs> right. But for, for all those young individuals that might be listening to this, you really should. Right. Okay? Banking is a noble profession. When you think about what we do within the communities and for the individuals within the community or the small businesses, and that first time when we provide a, a mortgage for somebody's first home, mm-hmm. oh man, that, that's powerful. Or the small business that is starting up or expanding, uh, those are powerful connectivity to the community, and our team does it every single day, and, and it's just it is a great feeling and win. And again, it's a noble profession. And every once in a while, you know, you hear of, um, oh, I don't know, let's go back to the Great Recession 15 years ago. And you get this impression of fat cat bankers, et cetera. Yeah. That is the, I mean, perhaps in New York City, you've got a little bit of that. Yeah, it's Wall Street. But it's not, it's not Clinton this, Street. It's Wall you know, Street. Or, and this is Clinton Street. Yeah, or First you know, Avenue in Cedar Rapids. First yeah, Avenue. Yeah. And here, all bankers, not just Midwest want, there's other great bankers within this quarter and community that you think, have you been to any community event where a bank is not part of or not a part of the sponsoring entities of that? And so we truly are part of the communities that we serve. Yeah. And as someone that, you know, owns some small businesses and does, you know, a variety of different kind of business endeavors around the quarter, none of that was more apparent than during COVID, the importance of of community banks. And you go through those PPP loans and you heard some horror stories of folks trying to call some of the, you know, non-community banks, more nationwide kind of corporate and you get stuck. Hey, you're in the queue, you know, you're number 58, Johnny, be called. But if you know those person, you you know, you're going to church with them. They're your neighbor. They're your community banker. You know, they're picking up the phone. They're helping you when you need you the most. And mm-hmm. you learn the importance of those community banks right off the bat. Talk a little bit about, you know, a lot of talk right now on from a macroeconomic perspective. We're entering into kind of a, you know, coming out of the pandemic. Things were were rocking and rolling. A lot of capital flowing around in the, in the market. Now, we're, you know, a lot of talk about potentially a, a downturn or already in a little bit of a recession. Talk a bit about from just from the bank's perspective. What does that technically look like, you know, in terms of yeah, loans and deposits and those sort of things? How does a, a bank's um, kind of business change when the economy is sort of starting to, t- to slow down a little bit? Yeah, first, uh, and we've seen it, and every realtor here in the corridor has seen it, every builder in the corridor has seen it as well, as the Fed has increased interest rates now to. Um, and they have a meeting in the next two weeks as well, probably mm-hmm. another 25 basis point increase. And so as those rates increase and mortgage rates, you know, go between six and seven percent and you're feeling ecstatic if you might get one under six at this point, right, that slows down the housing market considerably. Right. Um, and then from there, you start to see, you know, our co- just our average consumer um, still is doing well, but inflation's beginning to um, eat away at some of their disposable income. Yep. Uh, and so you're starting to see a little bit of consumer sentiment go, like it's getting a little tougher out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on the business side, I will tell you what, for 2022, the vast majority of our business clients ha- had record years. Mm-hmm. But in terms of sentiment or investment now, some are beginning to pull back or saying, you know, I may pause on that next round of 
equipment purchase, yeah, capex, yep, capex et cetera, because we're a little uncertain of the, uh, sure. the environment. And the one I look at is it's a wonderful time for Midwest One. What I see is your super regional and trillionaire institutions will typically pull back across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, here at Midwest One, we like this is a, an excellent time for us to gain market share with excellent companies that have withstood far more than potentially a small recession or a mild recession right. that we might get here. Yeah. So some opportunity, you know, we look born at for folks. Yeah. Opportunity. Back to a little bit about your leadership. You know, you're in a, uh, not necessarily unique. Everybody goes through this and, and I'm sure some listeners as well, transitioning into, you know, a leadership role after a, a long time leader and CEO, you know, Charlie, you know, very instrumental, as you had mentioned that within the success of the bank, growing the bank, but also, creating a, you know, an amazing culture here at Midwest One and as well as, you know, great community involvement, community leader. Talk a bit about your approach to coming in as a leader, you know, after, you know, someone like Charlie as a predecessor, but then also your kind of, you know, what are the pillars of your change management or sort of, you know, call it the first hundred days or whatever that looks like. How are you approaching that from a leadership perspective, the change management and, and you know, building off of what Charlie, you know, has created? What are the sort of the fundamental um, pillars of how you're looking at that? Well, that's a great question. It'll be interesting to see if the other 11 board members are uh, listening to this one down soon. <laughs> right? yeah. But ultimately, um, yeah, I, I spend a heck of a lot of time in these first 90, 100 days listening mm-hmm. and really beginning to understand the organization. And then the other is, I believe, before individuals will f- trust you, which means they will then follow you, they need to know who you are yep. and, and what you stand for. So my messaging around the institution to date is not necessarily, you know, here's all the things we are going to do. It is listening. Yep. My questions to statement ratio should be pretty high, meaning that's I should That's your KPI. Find, that's your early KPI. Bingo. Yeah, question yeah. to still like that. I, I should under, you know, ask a heck of a lot of questions rather than have all the, the answers because I, I don't right now, um, nor should I. And then from there, once you establish the trust, um, then we begin to put together the strategic plan of Midwest One has done such an outstanding job to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. But then this industry is changing every single day and every single year. We'll need to continue to evolve to move from six and a half billion to 15 billion or so, you know, a decade from now. Yeah. So that will involve change. Mm-hmm. But the first thing to do is to understand the organization and to build trust in the organization. Right. What is, I love asking this question, you know, even maybe more so curious to hear your response to it, but, you know, banking, you look back to, you know, the start of your career 20, 30 years ago, you can think of all the, you know, the litany of changes that happened within the industry and the economy, what have you. If you were to fast forward into, you know, 2033, what what are your sort of predictions about how the banking industry, or maybe specifically within the state of Iowa or even Eastern Iowa, how will the banking industry change the most over the course of the next 10 years? What do you see some of those you know, larger kind of, you know, changes uh, being here for the banking industry? Yeah, I don't think we're too dissimilar to many other industries of, you know, that question it, it probably gets answered in almost every industry, technology mm-hmm. um, and, and the, the impact that it's having in every industry, but in, in banking, for instance, right now in, in our branches, if you go just only 10 years ago and track transaction counts to where they are today, 
to where they're going to be 10 years from now. I'm telling you, my children don't even know how to write a check, right? <laughs> and they think Venmo's a bank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, I'll, and I'm a bank. Yeah, I'm a banker. Come the on, bank guys. bank of Venmo, yeah. Right? And so there it truly ends up being, how does technology continue to um, uh, either affect or improve our, our industry as a, as a whole? Um, so being in front of the curve or at least, you know, at the curve and that is where we spend a lot of time now. Yeah. And is that something internally, how do you kind of reorient? I think that's kind of one of the interesting stories about a Midwest one. You talked about going from three or 400 million in assets to now, you know, 6 billion plus over the course of the last 15 or so years. And with that, you got to internally bring in new folks to examine those sort of things. And if you want to take that next big step. So how do you, you know, how do you approach technology in an institution like this? Are you doing things proprietary internally and creating some of those or outsourcing it? Or, I mean, how does that, what's your approach to kind of the technology piece? Because it, it, as you mentioned, it's everybody's got to do, you got to automate processes, you got to make things easier for your customers to do business with you. Technology's the vehicle to do that. But it's just, you know, it can be, it can be overwhelming if you, if you don't have a very kind of, you know, concerted approach to it. Yeah, absolutely. And so we just hired in the past uh, 12 months a, a chief of digital innovation. Mm-hmm. And that individual's charge is, yeah, you, I look at technology a few different ways, and you mentioned a couple of them there in, internally, right? So ultimately, our own processes and convenience and ease of use, and even beginning to go, okay, what what can do, get done by AI? Yeah. What what you know, manual processes ultimately can move, be improved upon by technology, and then we have the customer experience and all of the external facing pieces. And I will tell you right now, uh, let's just go to our children again, or my children, they're a touch older than than yours, Nate, but yours will never set foot in a branch, right? (laughs) And ultimately there, the the bank is their phone. right? And so all of our mobile applications, to online applications, to the chats, to all the um, even investment advice that's online, all those pieces, we're needing to transfer the customer experience from and have ultimately a seamless experience between online and digital. Yep. And then also, though, we have to have great bankers at the same time. Yeah. But anything that has been more transaction oriented yeah. is is gone. And, and you know. yeah, it's just uh, it's amazing to think what it's going to be like five years from now, for sure. What this kind of transition a little bit into kind of, again, some of the future looking stuff. If you look out, how are you going to gauge success? Are you looking, I mean, from your tenure you start back to you know a sports analogy you're setting you know it's the is it the season goal is it kind of year one you want those things done and then are you looking out beyond that you know for you from your leadership tenure here at midwest one bank like if you're thinking again down the line then you want to look back at it how are you approaching you know your own goals for yourself and the institution now in this in this role as ceo yeah ultimately there's this um a proverb um that i i've and taken to, to heart, and I uh, you know, started to, to pay attention to this probably 15, 20 years ago when I was in Chicago and we were beginning to build out that, uh, that city. And it's vision without action is essentially a daydream. Right? Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of that is if you have action but no vision, it's the nightmare. Right. Right? So with that one, ultimately looking out over a 10-year time frame and saying, here's where we desire Midwest One to, to be and go. Mm-hmm. But then working backwards and going literally into what is a three-year strategic action plan right. and all the steps underneath that in order to achieve those milestone yeah, journeys like that. every single year yep. that ultimately gets you to the vision. Mm-hmm. So. No, that's great. 
So what a, we talk a lot about business before we wrap up, but you know, folks around the corridor, they, they see Chip and your family once they move up from Tampa. What what can they find you doing? What are some other hobbies besides, uh, you know, you, know, you mentioned this, you're a sports guy and, and watching sports and your son's a, an athlete. Um, you know, what, what else kind of interest do you have outside of uh, banking? So I, I still try to actually play a little bit of hoops. Oh, we'll see you at the field house. So down we're, we're going to be at the field house, and it's it's all about. So I have four children, Nate, uh, three older ones. They're 26, 24, 23. Uh, but then we took 10 years off, and that caboose child who, who's 13. <laughs> and the only thing that 13 year old wants to do is beat his father in one on one. Right, so I, I have to try to stay in shape. <laughs> I, ha- I have I have to though. keep a ball in the hand. Yeah, and I swear I, he's not going to get me until he's at least in high school. That's so good. I I need to at least one more year. We're still playing some hoops, right? Nice. And then outside of that, believe it or not, I'm a little bit of a history buff. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably around the uh, Civil War and World War uh, One and Two. That's great. That's good. Well, um, we like to finish these interviews with just kind of a general question. You know, if you were to define um, success in one sentence, how would you do it? The enduring impact that I can have on other individuals in the community that I live in. That's great. Perfect. And, you know, community banking is a great platform in which, in which to do that. Absolutely. So we'll have to compare history notes one of these times. I'm an old <laughs> history major here from the, from the University of Iowa. But, um, Chip, thank you so much. It's great to have you here in the corridor as a leader and looking forward to working with you as I know all the other you know business leaders across the, the region are as well. And it's great to have your, your energy and leadership here working with all of us as we continue to push things forward. So great to have you in Iowa and uh, look forward to pushing things along as we keep going. Thanks, Nate. My pleasure. Yep, you bet. My thanks to Chip Reeves for coming onto the show to talk about his real success. And I'd also like to thank Midwest One Bank for sponsoring this podcast. Learn more and experience simply better banking at MidwestOne.Bank. And this podcast is produced by our good friends at LAS Media Group, located in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, you can visit them at LASMediaGroup.com. And if you enjoy this show, please consider subscribing and reviewing on your podcast platform of choice. It always helps us to continue to develop and grow. Real Success with Nate Kading is a Corridor Media Group podcast. For more information, visit CorridorBusiness.com. Thank you.